The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here today. I am here. It is mock schedule day, Tom. I will have my mock schedule ready to go in the next segment, a tradition unlike um, all others. Uh, I wanted to read I wanted to read real quickly this um, email from Jordan because it was very nice. And Jordan rated us five stars, which was very nice, and wrote a review. Um and wrote, you and Tom have the best chemistry of any talk show ever. Andy and Steve are close, but I've always loved listening to you, and I just found the podcast recently. Kevin, I know you've been on radio, and I loved you with Cooley, and I loved you with John Riggins, but there's been no pairing for you like the one that you have with Tom Lavero. Keep up the good work, guys. Really appreciate it. I'm giving you five stars. Well, that was very nice, Jordan. Very nice. And very nice. Tommy's had partners in the past, and I've had lots of partners in the past, and we've enjoyed all of our previous partners. Um, but, yes, we have. But this is, for me and you, the longest-running thing that either one of us has ever done. We were together on radio for seven and a half years. That's a good run in radio, a really good run. Now, Andy yeah. and Steve, yeah. Andy and Steve together, for me in this market, were really, I mean, it, they were perfect together for so long. And remember, they also had Tommy as part of, you know, the third rotating chair on Sports Reporters. Um, and Andy and Steve were together for 13 years. I think it was 13. And then they, you know, reconvened two years after that or three years after that for a short period of time before uh, the company got sold. But, um, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, Doc and Coach were together with B. Mitch and Al Koken for a long time as well at the station. And, and, and to be fair, nobody has done it, even though it isn't, you know, pure sports talk, but nobody's done it longer or better than the junkies have. And people ask right. me about them all the time. And, you know, I don't really know them that well. I know, I know Jason, um, a little bit, uh, but you know, to have their run, which I think is now a quarter of a century is incredible in this business. And, and I get it. I totally not only, not only get why incredible, it works. Yeah. Not only incredible, but seemingly stronger than ever. 
Yeah, um, and so that's you know that's awesome. But that was very nice, Jordan. Tommy and I have always felt comfortable, even though you know we hear from a lot of you and um, you guys all like it, and then some of you, you know, one for for a month or so, you can't stand me, and it's like, hey, can we get somebody else with Lavero? And then the next week, somebody else is, can we get somebody else with Sheehan, please? We hear all of that, but it doesn't bother us. We move and soldier on with things like the mock schedule, which has become quite the tradition, which I was reminded of this morning, and maybe you remember this, I threatened that last year was going to be the last year of the mock schedule because I thought it had, you know, jumped the proverbial shark, and I was ready well, to move on started from it. copying you. Th- that's people that- started copying exactly. you. Exactly. And that was, that was kind of a sign, in a way... That you know, uh, maybe it did jump the shark. Now I didn't think so, and I figured that once you put that out there, the demand would be so great that you couldn't <laughs> ignore it to return. I don't think that the demand has ever been great. I think it sneaks up on people, <laughs> and when you know when I do it, there is some enjoyment. But you know, it's very short lived. I mean, it's not you know. The, the schedule usually comes out a few days later, and they're like, ah, she and, you know, Ofer again, or he got one right. Um, it's not a mock draft, but you nailed it. You, 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 you actually just reminded me, everybody now is doing it, and I think I was the pioneer of the mock schedule. I really do. I don't, I don't know that when I first did it, which I think may have been 15 years ago, I don't think anybody else had done it. Now others are doing it. And I always did it during mock draft season because the schedule always came out before the draft. Now it comes out after the draft. So there was always that aspect of and it, too. And you know what? What? The, 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 the two events are equivalent in terms of mock because most people, from what I see, they have just as much chance of getting their draft right as they do the schedule right. Perfect segue. Perfect segue. So I was thinking um, about a lot of different things with respect to the draft this weekend, and I want to get your thoughts on the draft. And I read your your column, too, today, which I thought was hysterically funny. Um, and uh, we'll get to that as well. But um, this is what I wrote down. I just, I literally in three minutes wrote down the following, that, that – Last year, it was, man, that Deami Brown was a hell of a pick. Hell of a pick. And, you know, everybody talking about this guy's a deep threat. They've got somebody now opposite, you know, uh, Terry McLaurin. You know, they added Curtis Samuel. Look out. Deami Brown didn't really play uh, a significant role uh, in year one. He had 12 total receptions on the year. John Bates had more receptions. Uh, than he did. Um, In 2020, what did you hear? Man, that fourth-round pick, Antonio Gandy-Golden, that's that's our favorite pick of the draft, Sheehan. I mean, Sadiq <laughs> Charles and Antonio so Gandy Golden. They got they got the big receiver, and you know nobody. Re, you know, I think a lot of people liked Antonio Gibson. Um, but the bottom line is Cameron Curl turned out to be you know a significant contributor. Nobody talked about him in nineteen. Obviously, people were excited about Haskins. The truth is, people thought Terry McLaurin was picked because he was a team captain and he was going to be an excellent special teams player 
excellent on special teams, Terry McLaurin. We didn't even know during training camp unless you were really talking to people. And I do remember a conversation uh, that I had uh, with somebody out there who said McLaurin's going to be the guy. But they were kind of holding him back in training camp. How about 2018? Oh, my God. They got Darius Geist, Tommy. He's a steal. First-round talent, end of the second round. Uh, yeah, how'd that work out uh, for them? And Tim Settle ended up being a significant contributor until he left. Uh, picked in the fifth round, nobody was talking about him. You know, we had, of course, my favorite year where I uh, not only predicted Josh Doxson would be selected um, by Washington, um, thought he would be a great pro. And meantime, Kendall Fuller and Matt Ioannidis. Nobody had Ioannidis being great. Out of that draft. Uh, excuse me. You did. Excuse me. You, you liked Ionitis. Okay. Because he was from East Stroudsburg. Okay. No, Chris Neal. No, no, was. he went to Temple. Temple. He went to Temple, and my son went to Temple, so I followed their football program. <laughs> that, that was a good reason. Um, you know, you yeah. might, you might as well be my wife. Um, the uh, the the draft where they picked Preston Smith with the second pick. They picked Brandon Sheriff. Preston Smith. I mean. Preston Smith now, during the course of his career, has over 50 sacks. You know, he's turned into a hell of a player um, in this draft. And, uh, and Brandon Sheriff is a good player, too. How about this one? I'll never forget this one. Sheehan, my favorite pick in the draft, was the, the uh, RG3's running back at Baylor, Lake Seastrunk. This guy can fly. I remember all the talk about Lake Seastrunk. And the truth is, is Ryan Grant probably turned out to be the best player in that particular draft. Nobody gave Jordan Reed, except for, I, I will tell you, Mike Shanahan thought Jordan Reed, the moment he saw him, was, was going to be a really good player. Nobody talked about Jordan Reed in the 2013 draft. How about 2012? All about RG3 and Cousins. You know, what did they take Cousins for? RG3. And by the way, as you reminded everybody the other day, um, you know, the uh, the French chef, uh, Josh Loribus, and we couldn't even find information on him. But Alfred Morris in the sixth round. Nobody talked about Alfred Morris ending up being a guy that would rush for over 6,000 career yards. You know, the list, the list goes on and on. This thing is important, but really the mock drafts and the post draft conversation and those that fancy themselves to be experts get a grip. Nobody's an expert on this thing. Nobody. I agree with you 100%. Even the people who are paid millions of dollars, as we just described, you know, get this wrong so often. I mean, it, it, it's just it's just sort of absurd. Like people, I mean, like somebody asked me at uh, Quartermasters, my cigar hangout in Frederick, you know, what do you think of the draft? And I said, you know, I don't have any idea. I said, then neither do they, you know? I mean, it's just, it's just, I mean, it's, it's so hard to judge talent before they're put in the place where they're going to have to perform whether it's football or particularly baseball, where, you, where you're judging 17- and 18-year-old kids, how they'll wind up playing when they're 22, 23. It's, it's a hard practice. And to think, because you have more information than ever, and you do, at your fingertips right now, you have tremendous amount of data, video, that was never available to you before. 
It doesn't make you a draft expert. Washington last year after the draft had, and this is what I found, five A's, five B's in the B minus to B plus to B range, like four C's and there was like one D. I just, you know, in finding all of the, you know, immediate reactions and grades to the draft. After the season, the NFL.com basically regraded the 2021 draft after, by the way, the rookie seasons of all of these players. And Washington's was ranked 22nd in the NFL with a C plus, you know, and it it just and and, and, and again, it's like the the, you were hoping that Jamin Davis would be the significant contributor uh, in that particular class. But it turned out to be, you know, Sam Cosme was the significant contributor. Deami Brown didn't really contribute. Benjamin St. Juice got hurt. Bates ended up being a big contributor. Um, So it really is, uh, you know, look, there are people in the league and teams in the league that have done it well. And, and the Ravens are one of those teams and, you know, and, and, and they're teams that I would trust more with the process, but hell, you know, who gets criticized for bad drafting more than anybody is Belichick, you know, in the Patriots yeah, and he got ridiculed yeah, this time around. Yeah. For taking Sean Payton. Yeah. For taking the guy that he took. Um, when he took them, yeah. you know, like they, they, there's not an understanding of, of value, but there's also not an understanding from people uh, of what the teams really know. Like Washington took Phil Mathis, Jahan Dotson at 16 and Phil Mathis at 47. Um, and the first, you know, words out of players and agents in mouths were, well, we weren't even expecting to get picked that high. That may be true. Um, but 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 Washington, you know, I can tell you this, and I, I want to read an email f- uh, to you in, in a moment from somebody else about something I said on the podcast yesterday. But they liked these players, and they didn't want to risk it. And yes, there is um, there there it, you you can certainly evaluate. Uh, based on projections, pre-draft projections, whether or not a player was gotten at, a, at with value, you know, meaning drafted after the point in which he was projected to be drafted versus didn't get value drafted before when he was supposed to get drafted. But you don't know. Look at all the surprises, you know, like the Patriots drafting this guy Cole Strange. You know, what if, what, what if the uh, – uh, the t- the teams before him, uh, before the Patriots, let's say let's just say Devin Lo- uh, Utah. Uh, I'm sorry, Jacksonville, who drafted Devin Lloyd for U- from Utah, loved Cole Strange, but they're like, we can get him in the second round. Don't worry about it. And they have him even higher rated on their board than Lloyd. But but the, the Patriots took him. Washington may have known that another team was going to take Jahan Dotson and didn't want to risk it. You know, they may have known that they didn't have a pick after their second round pick um, at 47 until 98, and they really wanted, um, you know, Phil Mathis. So I, I just think it's one of these things that almost – I've said this before. There are two things that we as fans know the least about and get wrong the most, the draft and trade compensation. Like, I, I think it's one of those things that is so subjective. The evaluation of players is so subjective. 
And, you know, in a draft like this last one where there wasn't like an obvious top five or top ten even, you know, it was even crazier. But the bottom line is when you evaluate these drafts, say, fairly at at the the end of like three years, a good hit rate is like 37 to 38%, somewhere in that range. Yeah. You know, if they can hit on a little bit more than one out of three, they've had a that's a successful draft. Look, but, uh, I, uh, I've always, I, I have no problem with them picking the players they wanted, you know, having the courage of their convictions and sticking with the plan, whatever that plan would be. Now, I, I know in, in the draft you have to be aware of trying to guess what the other teams would will might do. Yeah. But ultimately, I mean, you don't want to feel like an idiot losing out on a guy you really like. Uh, because you're gambling on another team taking him. You know, I've always had a philosophy uh, in newspaper work when I was an editor, and it's not an absolute, but I lived by it for the most part, is I don't care what the competition is doing in the sense that it's not going to dictate what we do. We're going to do what we do. That's how I always used to, you know, when I was an editor in charge of reporters and, and deciding what, what we would cover. Now, it's not being oblivious to what the competition's doing, but they're not going to dictate what we do. And the other teams shouldn't dictate whether or not you, you, you pick or lose out on players you like. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, the, the whole idea of, oh, you drafted him way too early, or you really got value, Um you know, it's that's a guessing game to a certain degree as well. And, you know, I had somebody tell me, well, look, Kevin, on Phil Mathis, there wasn't another defensive tackle taken for 38 picks before the next defensive tackle was taken. Well, first of all, you don't know that somebody didn't really love Phil Mathis and would have taken Mathis had he still been on the board. That's number one. I mean, I think the lean would be that Washington was much higher on Phil Mathis than anybody else. But the other part of that is, well, Washington didn't have another pick until 98, pretty much the end of the third round, and this was a player they wanted and they weren't going to have an opportunity to get him. Well, maybe they could have gotten him at 98. Well, they could have, but then they wanted the running back. So, uh, look, there there are a couple things. I wanted to read this email real quickly that I got from Jack. Jack sent me this email um, uh, via the the website. uh, where is it? God damn it. I had it here a second ago, and now I can't find it. Oh, here it is. Kevin, you said that it wasn't exactly a four-for-one haul for the trade back, but it was. They got Dotson, Robinson Jr., Hal. We'll talk about Sam Howell here in a moment, Tommy. I certainly want your thoughts on Sam Howell. And Turner, Cole Turner, for a five-spot trade back. This is a far better proposition than Chris Olave, don't you think? Um, first of all, Jack, I didn't say that um, uh, that uh, I, you misinterpreted me. It, it's not a four-for-one haul as in they netted 
you know, three players for the trade back because the 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 Saturday trade was a two for two. They traded a fourth rounder and a sixth rounder for two fifth rounders. Basically, an equal trade. They just wanted to move into the fifth round and get an extra pick in the fifth round. They would have if they didn't make that trade. So they still would have gotten two players. They would have gotten one in the fourth round and one in the sixth round or another one in the fourth round and one in the sixth round. So it's not like they picked up an extra player by moving back five spots. That's what I meant yesterday when I said that. Secondly, um, better proposition than Chris Olave. Well, Chris Olave is not the player that I would have taken at 11. For me, it'll be judged in the future on whether or not Kyle Hamilton um, and and or Jamison Williams, who, who are two players that I would have taken or considered taking at 11, and Kyle Hamilton would have been number one, more so than Alave. I liked Dotson as much as I liked Alave. I liked Dotson. I think he's going to be a really good player. But this move back will be judged on whether or not Kyle Hamilton or Jamison Williams, you could say Jordan Davis too because the Eagles took him in between there and Washington did have a defensive tackle need. Um, And Jordan Davis was one of the most athletic players ever evaluated in the history of the draft that the Eagles got. But uh, no, I mean, for me, it's not Alave. I do think they would have taken Alave at 16 had he been there. I think they would have. Um, But I also know, and I told you this before the draft, that after Drake London, who was their number one on the board, that's who they were going to take. If if he had been there at 11, there would have been no trade back. They would have selected Drake London. But I told you last week that that London was the number one receiver on their board, and if he's there, they'll probably take him at 11 over Hamilton, and that they like Dotson that Dotson's among the next group of receivers. I didn't know what order they were in with Alave and and probably uh, Wilson and maybe Williams, although Williams isn't going to be ready to, to, to play right away. But I knew they liked Dotson, and I think Dotson's a really good player. I think he's going to be really good for Washington. I do. But it's not Alave that I'll compare this to. And the four for one, was I was just explaining that it really wasn't like because that second day trade wasn't, you know, one pick for two picks. It was two picks for two picks. So they would have gotten those players yeah. anyway. That's all I was trying to say. But thank you, Jack, for the email. You I, have to admit. Yeah. You have to admit. And I agree with you. I, again, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't see how you can judge. Anyone can prejudge these picks as being, you know, misses or hits. Uh, we just don't know. But it was kind of funny to watch. You know, like it seemed like one draft pick after another. The first words out of their mouth being, "I didn't think we'd be that high." Yeah, it got kind of funny after a while. I know, and I and I, you know, that's um. By by the way, I bet if you went to 32 NFL cities for the reactions that there were several of those, you know, throughout the night, uh, you know, on Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday. I mean, yeah, there there are a lot of everything is magnified. Here. Everything negative yeah, I know. is magnified here. Here's what I uh, let me just since you brought that up, Martin Mayhew addressed that and 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 said that you know we don't really care about the outside noise. We know more than than you do. I'm paraphrasing there. This is where I just wish that the two of them didn't let it bother them. I I, I wish that they just didn't hear that stuff. You know, let it just slide right off. I mean, ultimately, you're going to be judged on whether or not you got good players. 
Him and Ron. Him and Rivera. Yeah. Yeah. They they they, they have yeah, right. Well, look, I mean, Ron, Ron, in particular, Rivera, and he's the one that faces reporters every day. I mean, I understand he's only human. I mean, I think it's I think it's wrong. I think you're right that it doesn't behoove him to keep crying about, uh, you know, we shouldn't carry the burden of the past. But I understand why it gets to him. I mean, Martin Mayhew appears before reporters maybe three times a year. Yeah, true. No, I understand that. I I just, it's been a hallmark of this franchise for a while now. Every, you know, you know who didn't really let it get to him? Jay Gruden. I'm not sure anything really ever rattled Jay Gruden that much. Um, But uh, I think Jay Gruden had always had a bigger problem with what was happening inside the building. No doubt. As opposed to what was happening outside the building. 100% correct. I'm not saying yeah. that Jay Gruden was a great coach, great head coach. I'm not saying that at all. But yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I, Jay, like even Mike, and, and, and I, I can say this, that, you know, Mike thought that the media was tough in this town. You know, Rivera thinks the media is tough in this town. Um, you know, Bruce, Bruce Allen, well, I don't think Bruce Allen ever gave two shits about what anybody um, said. But I, yeah, I just... He did. Um, I, I just think that... Uh, you know, don't be overly sensitive about this. You guys have earned all of this. Now just prove, just just put your head down, go to work, pick the best players, coach them up, and win some games. That's what you got to do. Um, I've got to ask you, I'm not asking you for your draft breakdown, obviously. And by the way, let me just mention, I get a kick out of the grading, and I read a lot of the the recaps. I like reading Kuiper and McShay and the Athletics Dane Brugler and others. And by the way, our own Ben Standig, who won his third mock draft cha- championship um, in the last ten years uh, against the best mock drafters in the country. Um, I, I like you know hearing what people think, but you you really have to take it for what it is. This whole process is very much a coin flip. And anybody that that sits there before or after and professes to have all the answers, you know, I'll take all of their action next season. You know, count me in for being their bookmaker for the entire season. Um, But anyway, um, so, I mean, the pick that will be, you know, uh, talked about from now until Carson Wentz goes out there and lights it up will be Sam Howell. What did you think of it? Well, my first thought was the press... I I never saw him play. I never saw North Carolina play. You know, I went back and read about him and looked at his stats, and on the surface, they seem very impressive. It seems like they, uh, based on what I've read, not what I've seen, they got a pretty good pick at number five in the court uh, with with this guy uh, in the fifth round. Uh, but I thought it was hilarious and very telling that in Rivera's press conference after the draft, the first question, according to the transcript, was this, on if they thought that quarterback Sam Howe would slide in the draft. Nobody in that question, not one word mentioning Carson Wentz. Not a sing- nobody even alluded to Carson Wentz. It was just about Sam Howe. In that answer, he says, uh, I had an opportunity to talk to Carson before we made the pick. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure he understood 
that this was just all about developing a young guy more so than anything else. Nobody asked him about Carson Wentz. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, my God, do they know what the problem is? Well, I mean, and I talked about this on the podcast that I did over the weekend and then yesterday as well with, with Ben. And the look, I mean... We know the we know the history with Carson Wentz. He was bent out of shape that that Philadelphia selected Jalen Hurts in the second round. You could argue that Jalen Hurts had every bit, or that Sam Howell has every bit the name recognition and the expectations going into this draft that Jalen Hurts had going into his draft, um, and. So there was that for Ron to consider. Um, the, the bottom line is he had to call Carson Wentz because it was Sam Howell. It didn't matter the round, Tommy. You know, if they had picked, and, and I went, I think I went through some of these yesterday, but if not, if they had picked Mike White from Western Kentucky, he was a fifth rounder in 2018, or Davis Webb from California, fifth rounder in 2017, or Kevin Hogan, who is from, you know, went to Gonzaga here locally, fifth rounder in 2016, um, or, uh, or there's a couple of good ones um, here. Um, uh, hold on. Uh, a, a guy in the fifth round, Easton Stick. I mean, Easton Stick got picked in the fifth round out of North Dakota State by the Chargers. If they had picked Easton Stick or the equivalent of Easton Stick in the fifth round, they wouldn't have had to call Carson Wentz. They picked Sam well, Howell. People, people perked up and noticed when they picked Sam Howell. Sam Howell, two years ago, was a projected number one, number one overall. Sam Howell has been at the forefront of the quarterback draft conversation for two years running. Sam Howell and Ben and I were talking about this yesterday because we both said to each other, you know, I bet we could find tweets from the last two weeks where somebody was projecting Sam Howell to go in the first round. And after the show yesterday, uh, Ben sent me this tweet from John Kime. It was a John Kime retweet. Uh, Kime retweeted Jim Nagy, who's the executive director of the Senior Bowl, who said, based on conversations, this was on April 15th, two weeks before the draft, based on conversations with NFL scouts during pro day season, Sam Howell sneaking into the late first round is one of the likely surprises of day one. And Kime, when he retweeted it, said, would not be surprised by this. So this is wow. this is a totally different feel to a this is, like I said on on Sunday and Monday you know this isn't a fifth round developmental might make the team have a guy in training camp pick you know uh, I, I I said to Penn yesterday and you'll uh, you'll know the, the reference this isn't Matt Hooper telling Chief Brody this was no boating accident all right this is <laughs> Sam Howell Sam Howell was two weeks ago, and you could find more of these, still one of those guys considered to be maybe after Pickett and Willis, Sam Howell's the, the next guy to go late in the first round. He's the guy, and by the way, I know this, people in the organization have liked Sam Howell for two years, going back to them watching a lot of De'Ami Brown. They, now, the other part of that press conference, which was interesting, Tommy, was when... They asked Ron Rivera 
if Sam Howell was the guy that he had referred to early last week when he said there was a quarterback in my mind's eye that I, I you know, I, I really liked and I would have considered, you know, we would have considered taking very early if not for, you know, basically implying the Wentz trade. And somebody said, was that the player you were talking about? How? And apparently he, he winked to everybody and then really didn't answer the question. Now, I don't believe that that's who he was talking about. I don't. I think they probably had Howell as a guy that they that they liked, and if he slid, you know, that they would take him. You know, that that's Ron's got some major bullshitting, you know, ability in him, um, and and so the the wink was oh, we got our guy. Yeah, we got a guy that you know we might have taken early in the first round, but we got him at the, the top of the fifth. I don't believe that because if that's true, then they would have taken him in the third or fourth round when he was still there because that would. That was considered to be high value. Peter King's column yesterday, he sat with the Ravens throughout their fourth round. Um, it was very, actually, it was a really interesting story just being in the Ravens draft room. They had six fourth round picks, the Ravens did. Why did they have six fourth round picks? Because they knew this was a draft that was super deep because of the COVID year. And yet at the top, there weren't necessarily superstars. Six fourth rounders. I don't I, I think that's gotta be a record for the most picks in one round by one team ever. But um, as part of that uh, fourth round day that he spent with Baltimore, they uh, when they got to their first of their six fourth round picks, Baltimore's highest rated player on their board was Sam Howell, according to Peter King, who was in the room. That was at the very beginning of the fourth round. Now, the Ravens don't need a quarterback, so they didn't select Sam Howell. But I wonder if it, you know if a team like the Ravens may. I mean, who knows? Maybe during the third round, Sam Howell was their highest-rated player. There are a lot of people that liked Sam Howell. You know, I had Sean King uh, on the radio show yesterday. Sean played quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he's the guy, Tommy, that hosts the show with Tim Murray out in Vegas. He's like uh, Sam Howell to me. It was the number one quarterback in this draft, and it, it wasn't even close. So there are people that liked Sam Howell. There weren't a lot of teams that needed quarterbacks. Maybe he would have gone earlier, but um, he's – so the question yeah. is how quickly before – well, you know, we'll get blamed as media people for stirring up quarterback controversy. I already, I already read that email yesterday. Um, but how quickly yeah. will the fan base – you know, to me, it takes one preseason game of you know two touchdowns and 212 yards in the second half on 18 of 22, something like that. Yes, yes, it will take one preseason appearance, and and it also depends on how Carson Wentz looks in the preseason appearance. If if we don't see enough of Carson Wentz to say, oh, okay, he's going to be okay. And then you see the other guy who's lighting it up. Of course, that's all it'll take. Here's what, here's what Rivera still hasn't figured out yet. Uh, in, in Washington, a quarterback position is like a living organism. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's like, you know that stuff, kutsu, that grows in the woods? Yeah. That, that vine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's vine like stuff. that. Yeah. You know, or it's like a virus. You can't really control it. You may think you can control it. But in this town, it's, it's, it's like a living organism. And 
this could get away from them just like that. Yeah, and I uh, and Moderna has not yet come out with a vaccination for the quarterback no, virus no, in this no, town. No. But no, but Tommy, no, but Tommy, you, you can wear like, you can wear your mask to the games outdoors to avoid it. Yeah. Um, you no, know, you're right. I think he probably knows that. You know, it's not totally um, specific to Washington. The backup quarterback it's, thing. Uh, I'm sorry. I uh, you're going to have to pick a town for me that had a quarterback debate like John Beck and Rex Grossman. Okay? That was was just... That's the measuring stick. That was the two of us. I mean, I know. Oh, no, no. That's that's the measuring stick. Okay? And, uh, now, look, I have no problem with Rivera calling Carson Wentz and telling him about the draft. I think that's smart I don't either. I don't either. I don't have a problem with it either. But... I don't. I I think it's very telling that he publicized it within the first thirty seconds of talking about the dra- about the pick. I had Joe Theismann on radio yesterday, and I said, I asked Joe. I said, Joe, I'm just curious. In 1984, did Bobby and Joe call you to tell you that they were going to draft Jay Schrader in the third round? And he just started laughing out loud. He's like, Kevin, he's like, of he just said that. He goes, that's great. But no, no, they didn't call me, nor would they have ever thought of calling me. Um, but 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 we live in a different day and age, obviously. Yes, and, yes we do. You know, and these guys are I not as good thick-skinned. Management. But I, I think the issue is he had to go out of his way to publicize it. Yeah. I, I Well, and Green Bay never called Aaron Rodgers about Jordan Love. Um, I, I, uh, I don't have a problem with it. You know, look, they have to make this Carson Wentz thing work. I am very, very happy. I'll repeat this for the third straight day. I am very, very happy Um, I shouldn't say very, very happy. I'm very, very impressed that they took a quarterback in this draft that they liked. My only regret would be to find out that they liked another quarterback a lot more and passed on that quarterback, you know, Desmond Ritter or Malik Willis or whomever. I mean, you had quarterbacks, you know, it was was Pickett, and then the rest of them came off the board in the third round, started to come off the board in the third round. Um, that would be my only uh, – that, that would step back the level of impressed that I am if they passed on somebody that they liked a lot more than Hal. But I'm glad that they didn't avoid taking, you know, the highest-rated player on their board in the fifth round, um, a quarterback, which they should be taking quarterbacks as, as a general practice, you know, as much as they can until they find one if they like them. Um, I was concerned that they wouldn't take a quarterback at all, even if they liked quarterbacks, just because they're all in on making Carson Wentz work. And look, I, I, I mentioned this yesterday, I think. There are 28.3 million reasons why Carson Wentz is going to get every opportunity to succeed. And they've already fulfilled their promise of going out and finding weapons to surround him with and uh, and more protection. They signed Trey Turner to a one-year $3 million deal. Another Carolina, former Carolina offensive lineman, played obviously in Pittsburgh last year. And Trey Turner, and by the way, just for those that would say it's another Carolina player, I don't care about that. I'm not 
First of all, they have actually earned my trust as far as the offensive line goes. John Matsko's maybe their best coach, you know, in the building. Uh, and why not draft players that are from familiar with what they want and how they want to play? I don't have a problem with that at all. But um, Carson Wentz is there's no. There's no training camp competition, and Carson Wentz is going to get every opportunity to succeed here. Um, Let's just hope for his sake and for Ron's sake that it doesn't start off poorly because the volume, the Sam Howell volume, not the Taylor Heineke volume, I don't even know if there's a volume dial for Taylor Heineke after they drafted Sam Howell. Um, But if there's a 1-4 or a 2-6 start and he's not playing well, Get ready for it, whether whether oh, Hal's ready or it. not. Get ready for it. And let's not forget. Let's not let's not forget about the guy who led them to seven wins last year. And if his defense had delivered like they were supposed to, could have been nine. And that's Taylor Heineke. Uh, I have forgotten about Taylor Heineke. <laughs> I have. I, I, what I, about I, the other quarterback they they signed? The, the big kid dude? out of. Uh, yeah, I mean, wow. What a big guy. Yeah. 6'7", 260? Yeah, he's a... He's, you, ever, you know anything about him, Bob? No, I don't. He's he's training camp, you know, he's a training camp guy, I think, um, for the most part. Um, but yeah, he's 6'7", well, 250. Guy. We need to get on that guy. Ma- maybe they'll move him yeah. to tight end. Uh, that's the, you know, and, and they've got they've got a couple of Coles on the team. They've got several Coles on the team. Um uh, in, uh, in, in Kelly, uh, Turner and Holcomb. And they have, they've got a bunch of Turners in the building too. Um, now, uh, I, I like Turner as the pick from, uh, Nevada, uh, in just watching his tape. And I, I really like Jahan Dotson, the player, but what, like I said earlier in this segment, it'll turn out that probably Percy Butler and Chris Paul will become the big winners of the draft because we don't know anything. I am very intrigued, as I said yesterday, that they drafted Brian Robinson Jr. And the more and more I think about it and the more and more I talk to people, look out, Antonio Gibson, because I think Brian Robinson Jr. is going to have a chance you know, uh, in, in camp um, over the next few months to become a significant part of what they're going to do in the, in the backfield. And I don't know what that means for Gibson, uh, but clearly there are people on the offensive side of the ball that aren't thrilled completely with Antonio Gibson and thought they needed a lot more out of that position. I don't think it has to do with just fumbling either. Uh, okay, um, are you ready for my mock schedule? Yes, absolutely. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tommy, Monday, May 9th, 6 to 8 at Shelly's Backroom. I'll be there. So many people will be there. Tell everybody how they can show up. I want everybody to show up. This is going to be fun to hang out with Tommy, uh, drink some beers. I, the only problem I have is i got to work the following morning. Should I take that day off? <laughs> oh, I think absolutely you should. Uh, tell everybody how to get involved in this. Okay. Well, like Kevin said, it's a great event. Uh, you go to dcgrace.com and scroll down to buy tickets. It's a $100 donation, tax deductible. We're a 501c3 organization. You get three cigars. You get uh, free appetizers. There's a cash bar available. And we have an auction of sports memorabilia and tickets and services. And there's been one more thing added to the auction I just got in the mail. A Sugar Ray Leonard sweatshirt from his clothing collection. Wow. Autographed by Sugar Ray Leonard. Awesome. You know, he, he really, he, lo- he loves Other lo- items as well. He loves you, doesn't he? Also he also sent some other items. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I covered one of Ray's fights, his last one in 97. Uh, but I've gotten to know him over the years. And uh, yeah, Ray really stepped up. And remember, this is all for kids. In D.C., four kids in, in the districts in D.C. where we pay for everything for them, uh, equipment, uniforms, coaches, the work, so they can play baseball. Um, DCGrays.com, Monday, May 9th. Does Bob still own Shelley's it? back room. Does, does Bob still yes. own Shelley's? Bob uh, Matarazzi still owns it, yes. Yeah, Bob's a great guy. Bob's, Bob was my neighbor, um, actually, for a few yeah. years. Uh, by the way, Shelley's is so easy to get to. 13th and F, plenty of parking. Um, it'll be a fun night. Come out uh, a week. Uh, come out. Come out this coming Monday night. So a week from last night, Monday, May 9th. Um, and, and I wanted to mention something else to you, Kevin. Okay. If I could, please. Uh, I I won another award. <laughs> of course you did. I won first place uh-huh. in sports column writing in the Virginia Press Association annual uh, contest. That's phenomenal. Did what? What yeah. column did you submit? Do you remember? Well, you have to submit three. You have to submit a collection of three columns. Okay, what were they? And then they pick from the collection. I don't remember. One of them was definitely I remember because I thought it was one of the better columns I've ever written. Was when I uh, about a rod. And this whole reclamation project of A-Rod and all these businesses and stuff, and people just forgetting that he was a two-time steroid uh, abuser in baseball. Uh, that was one of the columns that won. But uh, I'm, I've been in this business for 45 years, and I'm still getting it done, baby. You are. You got a lot of awards. I yeah. mean, you in, in the shrine that you built to yourself, which was the office at 980 <laughs> at 1801, Rockville Pike. 
Um, I mean, it was amazing. The, just the trophies and the plaques that just lined the shelving and the walls. I mean, you had a box of stuff that you didn't even get up because there wasn't enough room. I know. Uh, it was amazing. I know. I I'm mean, gonna, I, I, as it is here, I might. We might have to move. I may need a separate room <laughs> for all these. But here's what I don't have, Kevin. What? That you have. I don't have a Dundee. I've got a Dundee. I do have a Dundee. Th- yes, cur- courtesy of Tommy. Tommy gave me a Dundee, and the Dundee is right here. And it's—I don't know what the Dundee is for, um, but let's just say it's for Stanley's sales record, because that was the only positive Dundee that went out in the Dundee's episode. Um, and I-, I want to just remind people that you'll get a chance to see the Dundee. If you come to Cigars and Curveballs and bid on a chance to come see Kevin and I do the podcast in person right. in his palatial Bethesda studio. It is palatial. Uh, yes, you will be able to do that. That'll be fun. All right, um, time to get to my mock draft. All right, the annual mock draft here on the podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Window Nation. All right, Harley, Aaron, Eric, the whole gang, uh, they got a great deal going right now. Buy two, get two free, no limit, right? So you're paying half price on the windows. That's totally worth it, and you don't have to pay anything for two years. No down payment required, no payments required, no interest for two full years, if you've been thinking about new Windows 866-90Nation and windownation.com, uh, I'm telling you, if in all seriousness, for those of you that have been considering new Windows, no matter how many, give Window Nation a shot. They'll give you a free estimate. Go ahead and shop the offer all you want. You're not going to find a better company to work with. Um, they're great at what they do, and you're not going to get a better deal either. Uh, buy two, get two free. That's half price. You don't have to pay for two years. When you start paying, you'll be paying half price, but you will have realized two years worth of energy savings on your air conditioning and heating bills. All right, mock schedule time, Tommy. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how how long I've been doing this. It's been certainly double-digit years. I think it's probably nearing 14 or 15 years that I've done this. Um, and... I don't even know what the results are. I have much better data on the smell test than I do on the mock schedule. I know one year I think I got three exactly right, and that was the best year ever. You know, I got three games on the correct date, you know, uh, even at the correct time, right? But typically I get none right, um, and, you know, every once in a while I'll get one right. My favorite of all time for me was when I, in 2018, in my mock schedule, predicted that Washington would play Tennessee in a late-season game on Saturday at 4.30. It was like Saturday, December 22nd, 4.30, and, you know, back in April of uh, of 2018, I said, you can mark it right now if you want to go to Nashville. They're going to play on Saturday, December 22nd against Tennessee. I have no idea how I got that one right, but I got that one right. I remember Cooley was amazed by it. Um, but I think that was the only one I got okay, right people, that year. This is, this is predicting the future. <laughs> okay. This is like that TV show 
where like the guy used to predict like the headlines in tomorrow's paper. That's what Kevin's doing here. Uh, tomorrow's headlines today. Uh, that would be a great yeah. moniker to some sort of uh, you know site, crystal ball site. Um, okay, so a couple of things to consider, or that I considered, um, and the reason I'm putting it out today is because you're going to start seeing different parts of the schedule leaked this week. You're going to get some international games leaked this week, according to Peter King. You're going to get probably some holiday games leaked this week. Uh, so Washington will not play an international game because they don't. Uh, all of the teams that are hosting the international games, they don't have a road game against any of those teams. They have home games against some of those teams, but they don't have a road game against any of those teams. And but, I've been assured that those. Not, yeah. Well, they're not allowed out of the country either. We know that. Um, I don't. They're know. not allowed to leave the country. Yeah, I, the holiday games certainly possible. You've got Thanksgiving Day games. Of course, this year the NFL may actually roll out a Black Friday game. The Friday after Thanksgiving, there's been some discussion. Peter King had this in a recent column that Amazon Prime may have a Friday night NFL game on the uh, day after Thanksgiving. That's always been a day reserved for college football. Um, And the NFL may intrude on that. You have Christmas Eve games which will be the primary part of that week of the schedule. But a triple header on Christmas Day has already been announced. So that's why I wanted to get it out today, even though the actual schedule doesn't come out until a week from Thursday on May 12th, uh, just in the event that Washington gets leaked as one of these teams that are going to play one of these holiday games. Anyway, a couple of things that I considered uh, going into it. Number one is the last two years they've opened up at home, so I've got them opening up on the road this year. Uh, Also, uh, the last three years, they have finished the season on the road, so I've got them finishing at home this year. Another thing I considered in the mock schedule uh, this year, I, I know for a fact that one of the preferences, each team is allowed to, uh, you know, ask for a couple of things from the schedule makers. It doesn't guarantee that they'll get it, but they can give them a couple of their priorities. And Washington's priority was to not have the travel schedule on the short turnaround that they've had um, in a much more disadvantaged way than some of their division rivals, specifically Dallas, in recent years. Now, they only have one West Coast trip this year to San Francisco, so I have the bye week after the San Francisco game, uh, acknowledging that maybe the schedule makers will make sure that after a West Coast trip they don't come back for, say, you know, a Saturday game or that the West Coast game's a Monday night game and they come back for a Sunday game on the road. Um, So I tried to accommodate them there. I also had to think about national TV games. They were a 7-10 team a year ago, uh, and um, they're not projected to be very good this year. No matter what you guys think, they're over under a a 7.5. They are a distant third in the NFC East odds. Philadelphia's closed the gap on Dallas. Uh, in the NFC East, and you know, if you look at the NFC Championship odds, they're anywhere from 10th to 11th out of 16 teams. So it's not like they're going to get a ton, I don't think, 
of national television games. But every team's got to play a Thursday game uh, or a Thursday night game. And, um, you know, I think they'll be scheduled for three total primetime games. So with that in mind, here we go. All right. The opener is actually Sunday, September 11th. So you will have, you know, a lot of 11-year, I'm sorry, 21-year anniversaries um, of 9-11. On the 10-year anniversary, uh, they played the Giants at home. They had New York and Washington uh, playing. And last year was the 20-year anniversary. And even though Washington was obviously one of the city's hit, they had them playing at home, if you recall, against the Chargers last year. Uh, I've got them opening up on Sunday, September 11th at Indianapolis, Tommy. Carson Wentz against the team he quarterbacked last year, the Indianapolis Colts, Sunday, September 11th at 1 o'clock. Not a primetime game. It's not that big in the NFL. Carson Wentz, you know, returning to Indianapolis. It'll be big for Carson Wentz, and it'll be big for the two cities. I've got it as a 1 o'clock game, Sunday, September 11th, Washington at Indianapolis, 1 o'clock. Week 2, home opener against the Tennessee Titans, 1 o'clock game at Ghost Town Field. Week three, <laughs> week three, I've got them at Dallas on Monday night football, September 26th. You know, at 8.15, 8.20, whatever time uh, they start Monday night football. Monday night football against the Cowboys week three. Why did I do that? Well, Monday night football is getting a better schedule this year uh, with, with, you know, uh, with Troy um, Aikman and Joe Buck now as the Monday Night Football pairing and broadcast booth. And, you know, whether we think Washington's irrelevant or not, Washington Dallas always gets ratings. It just always does. And I yes, see I see a Washington Dallas Monday night game this year for Troy Aikman and Joe Buck to call. I've got it in week three. Uh, of the season on on Monday night, September 26th. Sunday, October 2nd, home against Jacksonville. By the way, remember Washington plays nine home games, eight road games. Last year, in the first year of the 17-game schedule, they played eight and nine. Eight at home, nine on the road. The NFC has the extra home game this year. Jacksonville, week four home, one o'clock game at FedEx Field. Week five, this is a big one. This is Kirk Cousins returning to FedEx Field for the first time. Wow. As a Minnesota Viking quarterback, I've got it as a Fox late afternoon doubleheader special. Minnesota at Washington in week five on October 9th at FedEx Field, 425 kick. The next week they go to San Francisco. Uh, Also a 425 start in the Bay Area against the 49ers. And then the bye week, go ahead and schedule all of your plans for the weekend uh, that includes Sunday, October 23rd. That's going to be your bye week. Actually, don't make your schedule around that. Um, But I've got a bye (laughs) week following the game in San Francisco. So your first six games at Indy, Tennessee at home, at Dallas on a Monday night, Jacksonville at home, Minnesota at home, at San Francisco, bye week. They come back after the bye week, and they play at Detroit. And then, that's a 1 o'clock game on October 30th, and then comes their second primetime game. 
a matchup at FedEx Field, Sunday night football, Mike Tirico on the call, uh, along with Chris Collinsworth. Sunday night football against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, They played Green Bay, if you recall, during the 2016 season on a Sunday night game. That was the you like it, you know, uh, game. Uh, I think it was. Whichever one Kirk said. The Tampa game, the Green Bay game, whichever one he said uh, coming off the field. the Tampa game. Yeah, after they blew out. Well, he said something to Scott McLuhan on the way off the field, remember, uh, when they lit up the Packers on that Sunday night, 42-24. to I've got him playing the Packers at home Sunday, October, uh, November 6th, 8-15. Then Sunday, November 13th at Houston. Sunday, November 20th, Atlanta at home. And then, are they going to play on Thanksgiving? I have them not playing on Thanksgiving Day. You know, they've got three chances to play on Thanksgiving this year because they play at Detroit, they play at Dallas, and then there's always the Sunday or the Thursday night game uh, on Thanksgiving night. I've got them playing Sunday, November 27th of Thanksgiving weekend at Philadelphia to start a seven-game closing stretch in which they are going to play five division games. Remember last year they ended with five straight against the division. I don't see that happening. That was really a scheduling uh, you know, anomaly. Um, but there is emphasis now for a lot of division games at the end of the year for a lot of the teams. I've got them at Philadelphia on November 27th. Cleveland at home on December 4th at 1 o'clock. The Giants at home December 11th at 1 o'clock. And the Cowboys at home on December 18th scheduled for kind of a doubleheader Fox special at 425. That's three straight home games to start December. And then their last primetime game comes... On a weekend where there's going to be a lot of football. There's going to be a Thursday night game. There's going to be Saturday games. And then there's going to be a triple header on Christmas Day. I've got them playing the Thursday night game, December 22nd, at Chicago. This would be an alt- This would be a Tennessee from 2018 um, home run if I get this one right. I just have a weird feeling they're going to play a late season Thursday night game. They usually, in their Thursday night games play them early in the season like the Giants last year. I got them playing a late season December 22nd Thursday night game at Soldier Field. It'll be cold. And then January 1 at the Giants and January 8th closing the season at home against the Philadelphia Eagles. At Indy, Tennessee at home. At Dallas, Jacksonville at home. Minnesota at home. At San Francisco, bye week. At Detroit, Green Bay at home on a Sunday night. At Houston, Atlanta at home. At Philly, Cleveland, the Giants, and Dallas. Three in a row at home in early December. At Chicago on a Thursday night. At the Giants on New Year's Day. And Philadelphia at home to close out the 2022 campaign. That's my mock schedule. Uh, I will tweet that out uh, later today. Um, okay. So you'll be, you'll be able to see it that way. Um, do you want to go through and, and do a record on it? No, we're not going to do that. No, we're not going to do that. I've now. got them. I've got them between seven and nine wins this year. I think that's where they kind of are in the mix. You know, nine if everything goes their way, and they could be in the wild card race at nine games. 
Um, but some, you know, the low end being seven. I, I think their their disaster scenario in 2022 is kind of high. I think they're good enough to avoid like a three and 14 or a four and 13 kind of a season. Oh, the over under, as I understand it, has been established at seven and a half. That's it. That's it currently. All right. Uh, and uh, I would bet the slightly. I would bet the over on that. Let's finish up with Tommy's column and the Caps getting ready to open up their postseason tonight against Florida. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. NHL playoffs are underway. Uh, The Caps open up their best of seven tonight at Florida. They are prohibitive underdogs against the best team in hockey. And I had Joe Beninati on the radio show this morning. I love Joe. Um, He's one of my favorite people, by the way, to interview. Um, And he said that Florida's awesome. You know, they're one of the most explosive offensive teams in recent memory. Uh, and that, you know, the Caps are like plus 290 underdogs in this series. But I said to him, I go, you know, Florida hasn't won a series since 1995-96 in the postseason. Washington's got a lot of Stanley Cup pedigree. And for the first time, when you think about it, Tommy, there's no pressure on the Caps. It seems like there's pressure every year in this first round just to get out of it. You know, against teams that they're favored against because they they typically are, um, and this one is, I mean, they, they can kind of play carefree. There's not going to be any oh they're choking, you know, in the first round or they're you know they're they've got a game seven, a big game five or a big game seven at home, and you can cut the tension with a knife. There won't be any of that. They, they they're playing as you know a major underdog with nothing to lose for the first time in a while. I would agree. Uh, if they have not had the strong regular season, they're usually known as the regular season champions that they, they typically have had. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's no particular pressure on them because people don't think they're very good. Yet they've got a lot of players that won a Stanley Cup, uh, you know, just it, it, four years ago. You know, it doesn't seem like that long ago. Their big issue is goaltending. Um, and even Joe said this morning he's not sure who the starting goaltender will be tonight. Uh, they've had issues with both of them. Look, they haven't been right since running Barry Trotz and Braden Holtby out of town. I mean, they have not been the same team. Uh, and they've lost three straight series. I mean, I know they had Holtby for uh, for at least the, the first one. I forget whether or not they had him for the Islander series in the bubble. Um, but they, you know, they lost to the Carolina in Game Seven at home that first year as the defending champs. Lost to the Islanders in five. Lost to the Bruins last year in five. You know, it's three straight first round eliminations. I wonder if they could go back and do the Barry Trotz thing over again if they would do that. Uh, I think they would. I think they would, since the coach that they hired to replace him is gone already. Yeah, I think they would. The Islanders didn't make the playoffs this year, but he lost, you know, in the conference finals in year two with the Islanders and, uh, you know, the semifinals last year. So he's had much more success than LaViolette's had since he took over with the Caps. Um, Joe seems to think they've got to play kind of a 
real buttoned-up, grinding, physical kind of game to slow Florida down. Florida's highly explosive, but inexperienced in the postseason. So, look, it's hockey. We've seen eights beat ones before. We've seen eights make it all the way to the Stanley Cup and win it. So anything can happen in this random sport, uh, which is the NHL in terms of, you know, a puck bouncing off a couple of pads and a post and either going in or going out and that being the difference in a game. Um, It wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't know anything about hockey. I'll be the first to admit it. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Caps, with their experience, make this a real difficult series for the best team in hockey. Wouldn't surprise me, no. I agree. Um, I don't have a prediction. I don't. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, I know Florida's really fast and the Caps aren't. The Caps have major goaltending problems. So, uh, you know, as uh, Tark El-Bashir has said to us in the, ba- in the past, the, the NHL in the postseason, you can sum up in one word, goalie. If you have one, you've got a chance, and if you don't, you don't have much of a chance. And they don't have one, apparently, so I'm not expecting big things from them. Um, all right, uh, Tommy wrote one of those Tommy columns. Um, they titled, They Had a Party at Ghost Town Field Last Week to Celebrate the Team's Drafting of Hostages. Uh, but it really morphs into a conversation about FIFA's World Cup um, and the bid for 2026. Why don't you tell everybody about your column, and I'll read some of the really good lines. Well, I mean, you know, uh, Washington had a, has a group called DC 2026 that's hoping to host some World Cup games, the World Cup in 2026 being in North America. Uh, and there's a bunch of cities around the North America, including in, on Mexico and, and Canada, that are bidding for that uh, right. Uh, and Baltimore also had a bid, a separate bid from Washington. Now, you got to consider Baltimore a long shot to, to, you know, host an international World Cup game. Uh, and D.C. would seem like a natural. The soccer hotbed, it's the capital of the free world. Uh, but as it turned out, once FIFA officials got a look after COVID, you know, after they stopped doing the virtual uh, presentations and had got an actual eyeball presentation of FedEx Field, Ghost Town Field, as I call it, they said, "Are you kidding me? You can't use this. You know, this is we're not going to host a World <laughs> Cup game in this toilet bowl." FIFA officials may and have tried so, to flush a few toilets and wondered what the duct tape was for the railings. And they looked at the group and said, got any place else? Baltimore. Let's go to Baltimore. <laughs> and, my, and one of my favorite lines from your column um, is the line where, um, where you write, uh, Lost in the sea of embarrassment that sweeps over this organization seemingly on a daily basis was the fact that that in Washington's bid for the host 2026 World Cup games, the gangsters at FIFA that hand these that hand these out got one look at Ghost Town Field and said, "How about Baltimore?" It's so it's so dismissive of both Baltimore and Washington simultaneously. <laughs> they got one look at Ghost Town Field and said, "Well, how about Baltimore?" And then your next line is, "Is there anything more embarrassing for Washington sports fans than to hear how about Baltimore?" Um, 
Yeah, that's that's funny, but that's what happened, right? They got to they they took their yes. tour of FedEx Field. They said, "Well, you got anything better?" Yes, and so the the two groups have combined for a single bid where they have basically <laughs> a cocktail party in D.C. Right, and then the actual game in Baltimore at M&T Bank Stadium. And my my favorite part was in the beginning of this process. The football team, the commanders, they were all in. Oh, they, they, they were on board with hosting this. They said it'll be a chance for the world to see what a great stadium, you know, uh, we have here in Washington and, and, you know, for our football team yeah. and all this. And by the end, uh, basically they withdrew as if it was their idea to pull out of using uh, Ghost Town Field. As, 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 a, as a host for the game. Uh, so it was just, you know, just really, it's really embarrassing. Well, it's, it's really it, embarrassing. It's what they have. I mean, they can't play it at Audi Field, obviously. It's not big enough. Um, but, but let me just tell no. you, that the Hay Adams is a beautiful hotel for, for a big party and a cocktail party. We can go uh, one night there. We can go to the Reagan Building one night. We've got so many beautiful places to host parties. But then we're just going to scoot up the road, you know, 30 miles to, yeah. to watch the games. Yeah. We're going to go. We're going to drive. You know, I mean. If, if, it's, if it's not good enough to host a World Cup game, how come it's good enough to have a football team play there and have your fans watch that team there? Oh, my you know, maybe, God. Maybe, maybe uh, the franchise should, should see if they could lease space at M&T Bank for when the Ravens aren't there. Yeah, well, uh, that won't like happen. the Jets did when they left Shea Stadium. L- let me tell you something. To, can, you imagine, can you imagine what Bashadi would charge Snyder to do that? Uh, by, by the, the way, thing. by the way, from, Dan, what, from, what, he, what he would charge Dan uh, rather than uh, telling uh, Bishotti to call him Mr. Snyder, which is, you know, one of the legendary yeah. stories. Um, yeah. uh, no, I don't and think Bishotti's going to let Dan play be, there. No, it would be it would be closer from from Ghost Town Field to go see them in Baltimore than it would in Dumfries or West Virginia where <laughs> they want to build it. A lot stadium. closer and a hell of a lot more convenient. Um, yes. t- Tommy's column starts with, um, th- they had a party at Ghost Town Field last week to celebrate the team's drafting of hostages. After all, that's what they are, hostages. Players rarely come to Washington to play football of their own free will. They wanted a quarterback and no one would come, so they went out and got a hostage who had no choice but to be a commander, Carson Wentz. When Wentz found out he was traded from Indianapolis to Washington, he prayed, okay, God, I'm going to just take the the next right step. I'm going to be obedient. We're Wherever you have me, whatever it looks like, that's not exactly a prayer of thanks. Um, funny writing, uh, and this one I'd submit for next year's um, award, um, whatever I'll set of awards. Mind, yeah, this one was a good okay. one. Um, you know, this is a phenomenal soccer town. I mean, you know, I know. Washington, L.A., obviously New York. Chicago. I know, you know, kind of the Pacific Northwest has been a huge soccer, you know, hotbed for even the MLS. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, when, when the when the World Cup was here in '94, they played games at at, at FedEx, right? They they didn't play any of the big, you know. Uh, no, they played at RFK. 
Oh, that's right. It was at RFK. What am I talking about? Yeah, uh, FedEx wasn't built. It was at there RFK. There was no FedEx. Then. Right. Maybe yeah. they should play it at RFK. Um, I'll tell you what, seriously, if I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to world, I'm going to go to a world cup game or two when it's here in 2026, I've heard that they are phenomenal. My brother, I've told you goes to the champions league final every year. In fact, I think it's the end of this month because he told me he was heading over um, there uh, to see the champions league final. And he always tells me, he's like, look, I'm about as much of a soccer fan as you are, although he's a, a a bigger one. But he said you just would not believe the scene and the electricity of being at one of those events. It's really incredible, and I can imagine it is. Um, I'd like to do that uh, in 2026. Great column. Uh, I tweeted it out. You can follow. You know, go get it from Tommy's uh, Twitter page as well. You got anything else for me? I got nothing else for you today, boss. I got nothing else for anybody else. Uh, back tomorrow, uh, I think we'll have Steve Sands on the show. You know, the Wells Fargo is in town this weekend at Avenel. Uh, we'll certainly talk with somebody on the show about the Caps game one. Um, and we'll have a lot of Washington uh, commanders talk. You know what? Somebody mentioned this to me recently. They said, you're, you're getting more comfortable with commanders. I'm not getting more comfortable with commanders in terms of my passion for you know the changing in the brand. I'm just using it more because that's the team name. And we talk about the team. And at some point, it's going to sound ridiculous if I keep saying Washington football team. I mean, I do slip up all the time. Sometimes it's not slipping up uh, and say skins or, or redskins. But yes, I think I've noticed myself referring to the team more and more as the commanders. Well, that's the team's name. And, and if it were an expansion team in another city, I would be referring to it as that name. That's still my, my, my feeling right now about this team for me is that it feels very much like an expansion team in a different city. Sorry, it's the way I feel. Maybe when we get to the season and they're opening up at Indianapolis and then they beat them and they beat Tennessee in week two and then they've got a game at Dallas as I've projected on Monday Night Football in week three, I'll get excited about the Commanders. But you know what, Tommy? If that's the case and it's Monday Night Football, and it's in Dallas and it's got Commanders, it's got Cowboys versus Commanders, I might vomit. I might be really, really distraught to see that in full-screen Chirons on the Monday Night Football broadcast with Troy Aikman and Joe Buck saying first down commanders. Yeah. Okay. It will be a bit of traumatic. We're done for the day. Uh, Back tomorrow.